Parenting and marriage. Two things that can leave such an impact on others and have such an impact on you. But how do you do them well? How can you take care of yourself so you can take care of everyone else? With 11 years of professional parenting experience, raising two daughters of my own, and a 17-year marriage under my belt, I want to share with you what I've learned and unlearned to make my marriage and my parenting the best it can be. I want to share with you tips and advice that have helped reduce my own stress, overwhelm, and anxiety on these topics so I can help and encourage you to do the same. I'll also be sharing interviews with others to share their marriage and parenting experiences, perspectives, and advice so we can all travel down these roads a little easier and with more joy and gratitude. I'll help you not forget yourself along the way as you support and encourage everyone else on theirs. Welcome to Authenticate. Hi friends and welcome back to Authenticate. On today's episode, I am speaking with Amy Coring. She is a good friend, former house parent, and mother to two boys, one of whom is Eric. Eric has autism, and Amy shares her journey of advocacy for him, as well as taking advantage of resources and leaning on friends and community for support. She has an amazing story. I hope it will inspire you. Enjoy. Hi, Amy. Hi, Kate. Thanks for joining me today tonight. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I am excited to hear about your journey and your story, you and Adam with, with Eric. With Eric. Yes. yes. So I want to start with when you found out you were pregnant with him. And then when you found out that he was diagnosed with autism and kind of where your journey and where your trajectory went from there. Yeah. So Eric's 22. He'll be 23 in August, just to give you perspective as to what it was like 22 years ago versus um, how much awareness there is now. So I was pregnant. I found out I was pregnant um, in probably early 1999 because Eric was born in August of 99. And it was right after I had a miscarriage the Mm -hmm. summer before. And you know that we also have a 25 year old. So Austin was born in 96. So this would be our second child and our second full-term child. And so Eric was born, everything was normal, typical pregnancy, typical birth. And he was a baby who did not like to be held a whole lot. And he cried more than Austin did, but not anything that like put up any red flags. Mm -hmm. So what happened was I was teaching and Adam was home with the boys and I would go to school and Adam would be home and Eric, he had a word words and then like he doesn't anymore. And that's like really strange for me. And my background, like what I teach is family and consumer science. So I have child development in my history, as far as what I teach and what I know more about. And I'm like, he's not hitting those developmental milestone. So the doctor's like, don't worry, don't worry. My, um, he's a boy, boys don't, boys don't get, um, hit the same milestones as girls do. 
And I was like, wow, all right. I'm just, he's like, come back at two and um, we'll see where he is. And so in between there, he continued to not have any more, um, he wasn't gaining language and just some other things like physical things were not at the same place that they were with Austin. And then um, about two and a half, well, we had been going back and nothing was, was improving, but, you know, they kept giving him shots like they do all those babies. Mm-hmm. All the and, immunizations. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. His immunizations. And so I was sitting in class and in my classroom was a speech therapist um, and she knew Eric's story. And she's like, Amy, did you ever think about early intervention just to like have them come in and do a diagnosis? And um, if he tests with early intervention, if you test at any speech, um, physical, occupational, any level deficient, you qualify for all of them. Oh, wow. So we're like, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of that. So we called and had that testing come in. And of course he tested low for speech for sure. And OT and PT were below basic, but not super low, but, you know, we qualified for it all. So I was like, Hey, I'd like to have all of that. So we had that in our home. So we had uh, speech PT and OT in our home, um, several times a week and it came from Schreiber pediatric, which is over in Lancaster. And then, um, one of the speech therapists from Schreiber says, I think you need to get him tested. And we were like, uh, what does that mean? And she's like, can you just have a psychologist just come in and do some testing so that we can, if there is a diagnosis, we can have, you'll just have a lot more options because right now we're just dealing with a deficiency and not a diagnosis. And I was like, all right. And you still weren't really clear as what was going on yet. No, they weren't because when they started doing speech, they started um, with sign language. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh dear God, please. I don't, I like, I don't know that my head can wrap around having to learn sign language And I was willing, I remember saying to her, I am willing to learn sign language, but if he, there's any chance that he is going to speak, can we push that first? Like what is out there that we can use? And that's where, um, PECS, the picture exchange system Mm -hmm. came into our lives. And so she was getting that system set up for him and we were getting, um, the psychiatrist psychologist set appointment. And I still remember Adam um, emailed me at school because we didn't have cell phones in our rooms at that time. And he's like, Eric's diagnosis he is autism. And I was like, oh my gosh. I, I like still remember sitting at my desk thinking, oh my gosh. And Adam was like, this is horrible this is like, what are we going to do? And then I just like nose dived into every piece of research, every book, like what, what is 
what can we do? What can we do? And um, I read that the, if you had TSS, you could get TSS services in your home that would help with behaviors. And, um, but he needed a diagnosis. And to get a diagnosis, we had that, but we didn't have the access card that we needed for the services. So I uh, reached out to an agency and like, what do I need to fill out? And so I had to fill out all this paperwork and um, they're like, you know what? It takes like months. I'm like, I don't have months. He's gonna be three in August and I need this access card in order to get him services. So she's like, fill it all out send it in right away. And let's just hope that, that, you know, we'll get an answer soon. And I don't know if she had a contact at the state, but it went through super quick, which was amazing. We were connected with amazing people early on in our journey, which is super cool because I don't know where we would be at this point. Now, the person that did his diagnoses is the person that IU hired to start their autism support oh, wow. program. Okay. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> wanted to ask you in terms of the early intervention, when I was talking to Kelly, because she mm -hmm. had no idea about early intervention services either. And she feels that if she would have had them even sooner before the age of two, maybe in that first year, that Dagny could have progressed faster and will be farther along now. Mm -hmm. She had just known. So have you ever thought about that? And like, did anybody ever discuss if he would have had services the first year, been diagnosed even earlier, anything like that? So Eric had services. I don't think we could have gotten anything any earlier because he didn't before one and a half is really, really young. Like, yeah. I think Eric got services at a good time. Like, I, I don't ever say what if we would have caught this earlier? I will go back to that doctor that we, that said, oh, just wait, he's a boy. Mm -hmm. da, da, da. When I got the diagnosis, I walked into the doctor's office with the diagnoses. And I said, you will write every referral that I need because you were wrong. And he is autistic and I am going to need a lot of help from you. The first one is diapers. I need a script for diapers. So, because he was not potty trained until my gosh, like four, I think. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So the deal that that doctor made with me, he agreed. Um, and that was, also golden for us. Mm -hmm. Like when you have somebody that I, that you can just call and say, I need this referral, then that makes that hurdle a little easier oh, yeah. for, for you. Sure. Yes. So, um, so we had that in place The we had TSS and we pushed for speech for, uh, we had so many hours in our home like 30 some hours. Wow. I mean, we had a lot of hours That's a lot. of um, TSS and speech and PT. We had it all. <laughs> and people are like, those people are going in your home. Aren't you 
aren't you concerned about that? I'm like, no. no <laughs> I used to I'm be not. a TSS. I would go into the home. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. So I like, and if you were a TSS, you also know that I couldn't just disappear either, right. that I was supposed to be available and around. So it wasn't like free time. Like that was the other thing that people thought is like, oh, they're like there, they're going to like babysit or take no. care of. I'm like, no, what they're doing is they're teaching Adam and I skills. They're transferring skills for us so that they can wean themselves away. And so I can't just like leave. It's not, I can't go to the grocery store. I can't go up and take a nap. I can't like, this is, this is my world now. Um, so we really did dive into that and to not advantage might be the wrong term, but we utilized all of the services that we had for Eric as early on as possible. At the same time, we did the gluten-free, casein-free diets. Okay. Because um, he was not eating much of anything. So he actually, we had to go to the food clinic at Hershey Med and they did allergy testing to find out what he was allergic to. And then they did, um, they would like force feed him, make him try different foods. Yeah. i like, I think back to it and I was like, oh my gosh, here's the chicken nugget. And, um, he's such a good eater now and such a healthy <laughs> eater. It's like, it, it's hard for me to remember way back then when this guy is like, you know, like, we're going to try this and we're going to try that. Right. Um, Does he have allergies? So it turned up that he had a slight allergy to almonds. Hmm. Um, but we never had any issues with that. We didn't do like when we did gluten-free casein-free, we did rice milk, not okay. almond milk. Okay. So, um, we didn't have any, any issues with almonds. Um, but that was all. So then he got enrolled in the preschool through the IU, which is called BIPS, B-I-P-S. And I don't remember what it stands for anymore, but that was a pretty cool program where they worked with the kiddos that were diagnosed and it was actually a preschool that they could go to because I could not just enroll Eric at any preschool because of behaviors mm -hmm. and his very limited language. Mm -hmm. So even though he had language, he didn't have enough to be able to communicate well. And that's where the um, PACS, the picture exchange system really took off. And then it went into um, the Vista as well. Okay. So picture exchange, have you ever seen it? It's got the I little piece of Velcro and it has like sentence starters, like I, so it might be a picture of a little stick person and then want, and then all these different little squares of like cookies, apple, peanut Choices. butter, jelly. Yeah. So all different kinds of what we would call as emojis right now, really. Yeah. That's a good point. Words on yeah. It. Yeah. That's so yeah. It was, perfect. <laughs> yeah. And he had, he carried this little strap with a binder and inside the binder was pages with Velcro pieces 
and all of these different squares put together. And then if he wanted something, he would have to put that sentence together on that strip and hand it to you. So that was like him talking to you. That was like the beginning steps of conversation. That's genius. That's really smart. And that's why it's called picture exchange system. Yeah. I like that. I don't think they use it anymore because I think there's so much on iPads and technology that they don't use that, but it was no more Velcro, no more felt boards. It was pretty, it was pretty antiquated, but you know, it, it It worked, it did work and it was really good. So he would travel into across from Kunzler and Lancaster. So he traveled about 30 minutes to the preschool. And then after that, we had to decide about transitioning him to public school. And, you know, public school, I mentioned earlier, did not really have an autistic support program at that point. It was just in its early stages. There was a lot of mixed classrooms Mm -hmm. with different diagnoses in it. And so Adam and I got to go visit those classrooms we went to a classroom that was 45 minutes away and we went to one that was like 25 minutes away because each district, because it's an an intermediate unit, the districts don't have to have the classrooms all in their own school. So they might send their kids to like one was in blue ball and one was in Cornwall elementary Okay, because it's Lancaster Lebanon was the IU that we were in. So we went to visit those and it was pretty scary. It really was the one we walked into. Do you remember the max, the, the max with the blue backs, the Macintosh computers with the blue backs, they were like all one piece And so this classroom, they would sell them to schools. So you saw them a lot in schools, like in computer labs. Mm. So while we were having this conversation with this teacher, like, is this a good classroom for Eric? One of the kids ran back to the teacher's computer, picked it up and started running out of the classroom. And Adam and I are looking at her and said, no, thank you. Uh, So... Wow. There was not enough support for the kids. Like I'm not looking at the kid like, oh, this is the kid's fault or, oh, this is the teacher's fault. They, there really wasn't enough staff Mm -hmm. for the need. Mm -hmm. So that was something I do believe really, really has changed over the last 20 years in a good way is the, the number of staff now the, the way they're paid is still not appropriate mm-hmm. because in autistic classrooms, they're getting bit, they're getting spit on, they're getting mm-hmm. hit. And it's because the kids are trying to communicate, but just don't have the words. And so, I, you know, everybody that ever worked with Eric, I was like, you are just such a blessing. You are just mm-hmm. such, we so appreciate you. So then we went to his IEP meeting yes. for where was he going to go? And so we uh, were sitting there at the IEP table and we 
had some people from Vista there. So it was our school district and we invited some people from Vista because we thought that was the best place for him. So the district was pretty um, heavy footed in, no, we have an autistic, the IU just hired somebody. We have these really good autistic classrooms that they're putting together. And we'd really like Eric to be in them. We, we really think that we have something good here. And I said, I know that Vista has something good because I've seen it. They already have it in place. They're already connected to Penn State. They've got different experts in the field that are attached to them. So that's where I want Eric to go. Vista was an approved private school. So in order to go to Vista, you had to either private pay or have your district pay. And so what I learned through my advocate was that if I was able to show the district that it's actually cheaper for you to send him to Vista and pay that bill than it is for you to transport him to a district that's 45 minutes away and then you have to also hire staff for music therapy, for language, for PT, for OT, because the districts don't have their own person for that. That's IU staff again. So those people would be traveling all over. So Warwick pushed hard and um, said that they thought that he should stay in their system. And my final words were, you are not gonna use my child as a guinea pig to see if the new autism classrooms in the IU work. I pray that they work and I pray that they're good, but we don't know. And you're not gonna use my child as a guinea pig for that system. This is where I want him to go. Are you willing to pay for that? Mm -hmm. Wow. So yeah, Good for you. so somebody told me um, early on to put my boots on and you will never take them off because you need to advocate always. Yes. And so, yeah. So then he was at Vista. He was one of the first, the first 30 students at Vista. Wow. And so, you know, that Vista is now up in um the old springboard academy yes yes so that's not where eric started eric started actually over in a smaller facility when they had just they had less than 30 kids wow and um yeah so he then went to vista through i don't know how fast you want me to go through this but he was he was there until he was like 16 17. And I remember saying like, this is all well and good. You guys did an amazing job with him, but I can't take people baby talking to him anymore. And I can't, um, I can't help but wonder what would happen if he was socialized a little more, because Mm -hmm. right now what I see at at Vista in the, and, and this is how it was back then. I, 
I'm, I can't speak for how it is now, is the older the kids get, the stronger they get, the stronger their behaviors would get. And Eric would ask to leave the classroom because it would be too loud or too, too busy, too much going on. So him and his staff member would work out in like the little lobby area. And so pushed, we pushed really hard to get him um, some socialization. Like, what does that look like? What can we do here? And what about public school? And so uh, they weren't quite ready to hear public school. And I said, you know, if he can just go for lunch, like, yeah. can he just go and be around kids that are his own age? And I know that he's not watching the same thing on his iPad as they might be on their iPad, but he's also not constantly around things that are making him unhappy. Mm-hmm and asking to leave. So we worked it out that he would go for like half days for, um, every other day. It was like the weirdest schedule, but it got him to the, it got him to the, the support classroom and it also got him to lunch. So he was doing that. And then we just kept growing growing and growing until he was full-time, which is so much fun. That's so great. Yeah. So, and I really, I remember then saying, sitting in a meeting and saying to his teacher, like, did we wait too long to do this? And she's like, no, it was just the right time because I was like, what if we would have, it's the, what if, like, what if we would have done this earlier? Right. And where would he be at this point? She's like, no, no, um, he's really, it was really good timing. So that's where, you know, he is right now. He's still considered enrolled in Hershey Public. Okay. um, Because COVID allowed for an extra year. So although he graduated. Right. we were able to ask, you had to ask as parents, you were given like three days to decide if you wanted an additional year and any parent could do it. It did not need to be a, a special needs student. So if you decided your girls, one of them you felt was behind because they had to do virtual learning, right. you could say, Hey, I'd like for them to have another year in third grade. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what it also allowed then was if you had aged out at 21, you were allowed another year. Okay. So the district um, worked with us to create a program that he would not have to go back to the classroom because how do I now tell him, oh, you graduated, but <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to go back to the classroom. No kid would and take that well. No. No. And so he, he gets community time and he gets work time. And there's somebody that comes and works with him with both of those right now. And so that's through the school district. And then when the end of the school year comes, it will come from the autism waiver that he has. Okay. Yes. So that's just like a little 
that's like his story as far as the education path goes. Mm-hmm. Medication's a whole nother monster. And I'd like to talk just a little bit about that because yes. I think it's important for parents to know other people's stories and what's out there and what has really helped us. So Eric did, we did decide probably around, oh gosh, eight or nine that he probably needed something because he was super anxious and he could not control his aggression. Mm. When he would get anxious, he would just get super upset. So I remember saying, oh, well, anxiety runs in my family. Like it's huge. So, you know, whether he was autistic or not, I think that we would probably be dealing with some anxiety here. And me learning at 33 that all of those panic attacks that I had my whole high school, college years and after were because of anxiety and that there's something that can help me with that. Help me please. Yes. So I was not willing to allow somebody who didn't have the words to tell me mm-hmm. what was going on to have to deal with that. So I gave them the name of the medication that was working successful for me. And so that's what they put him on. And um, for anxiety, there was another medication for um, aggression. So fast forward puberty, which is (laughs) awful for any kid. Yes. Because they like awful in the way that they have no idea what's going on, or they're trying to figure out what's going on with their emotions, with their physical appearance. And then you have a child that can't communicate what they're feeling Mm. and all of that. And the behaviors kept getting worse and worse. And they're like, well, maybe you need a TSS again. And I'm like, okay. So now the waiting list for TSSs are like, I don't know, so, so, so long. Mm. And we were house parents at the time. And I was like, this is not like, I can't, I can't handle not knowing what his behaviors are going to be. Plus we had Austin still at home and then we had our boys. And so I remember going to the doctor's meeting and saying, I don't understand. Like, like, I feel like you're increasing this med, but as you increase it, it makes it so much worse. And he said, you know, we just got um, the ability to do this testing. And what it does is it takes your, you swab the mouth and you send it in and they tell you what medications work with your DNA. And if you would go to your regular doctor for this, it would be like between a couple hundred to maybe a thousand, couple thousand dollars. But the Medicaid program is currently paying for it. So would you be interested in having Eric tested? Yes, please. Yes. And so we did that, swabbed him, sent it off. The results came back and the medicine that he was on 
was working against him. So the one that I said, this works for me, it did not work for him. Mm -hmm. And so there's like this traffic light that tells you this works well, this works, but there might be some issues with this, this, and this. And then there's a red where this Mm. doesn't work. And that's where that medicine was. Wow. So interesting. So, yeah. So my mind just went crazy with that. Like, why isn't this more known? And why aren't everyone who has a nonverbal or limited verbal child with autism being offered this because they're most likely receiving Medicaid unless they turned it down. And then I went to, why doesn't every person in a nursing home have to go through this before they go in there? Because, you know, how long are these people on medications? You're right. Maybe they didn't even work. And then it was like, why isn't everybody getting this? Yes. And for it, free. And it's a money, it's a money thing. Of yeah. Course it is. And you know, so that was like such a huge blessing because the doctor was able to look at this report, redo Eric's meds and, you know, within two weeks, cause it takes two weeks for meds to kick in. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw like such a big difference. Wow. Such a big difference. It was crazy. And is he still yeah. on that now? Yes. Like that'll be forever. So it will be forever. Um, probably for the anxiety meds mm-hmm. for the aggression meds, it will, we're titrating those down. Okay. So the more he is aware of what's going on, like he used to be on like an extra dose kind of like the ADD kids that got the medicine after school too. Mm-hmm. He used to be on that when we were house parents at, at certain points because he would come home and be super upset. And that was what was able to calm him down so mm-hmm. that we could work with him through whatever he was going through. So we're now tie trading down, okay. which is, which is really good. Yeah, we're at a good point with meds, I believe. Okay. And um, I was going to ask, is he limited verbal or nonverbal? This is how I explain it. I say that he has verbal, but not conversational. Okay. Or limited conversation. So he can come and put an entire sentence together. Mom, I want to go shopping. Mm -hmm. But when you say, hey, Eric, how are you? He's going to say to you, I'm good. How are you? Because that is the language he's been taught right. as a response. Okay. So, and his receptive language, which is what he hears is much higher than his expressive language, which okay. is what he says. Okay. So you can have a conversation with him and he would understand much more than he could verbalize back to you. Got it. Yeah. The other thing we learned with the language piece is, you know, we think that language is universal. So when we were being hired for house parents, they interviewed Eric, you know, how the person mm-hmm. comes through mm-hmm. home and I do. checks out. Yeah. So they were like, 
we didn't tell them Eric was autistic. And we're like, well, we'll just, you know, pray, pray about it. We'll go with it. We have some good people who have told us great things about how accepting people are there, other house parents. So we're just going to go with it. And I remember the lady sitting down saying to Eric, so what do you like to do with your parents? And like this blank stare. Now he was like 11 at the time. Right, right, right. And he didn't say anything. And she's like looking at Adam and I, I said, can I help? And she said, sure. I'm like, Eric, what do you like to do with mommy? And I forget what he said. And then I said, so, and what do you like to do with daddy? And then he had an answer. So what we discovered from that was he did not know what the word parents meant. Got it. Yeah. So then that had to be taught because he knew mommy and daddy, but he didn't know parents. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's things that are just assumptive for most of us to, oh yeah, every 11 year old knows what parents are. Right. Wow. That's a great point. Yeah. Wow. So during all of this time, what did your home life look like in terms of setting up structure and routine for him? I would assume that would be really important. Mm -hmm. And what did it look like with his relationship with you and Adam and with his brother? How did all of that kind of go down for you? Yeah. So, um, Austin had a hard time accepting Eric's diagnosis because he didn't he was only three years older than Eric and he just didn't understand what was going on. Like what is wrong with my brother? Mm -hmm. Um, he actually, Austin's an amazing writer and writes about that. So he actually Mm -hmm. has the story written of when Adam told him what was, what was going on. I get emotional when I think about it. Um, so that was really hard for Austin plus I'll deal with one person at a time, Kate, so that, so with Austin, then as he grew up, he didn't have like a little brother to play with Mm -hmm. per se, because Eric was getting lots of therapies in the house, out of the house. So Austin had friends in the neighborhood, which was really great, a great group of friends but it was really hard on him. It was hard on us because we were trying to figure out how to support Austin mm-hmm. and how to support Eric. There was a lot of times when it was, okay, mom's going to take Eric to therapy and Austin, you're going to go with dad to basketball, you know, and, and some people would say, well, typical parents have to do that too. Well, it was just a little more of a the level struggle. of needs are different. Yeah. Completely because different. they could not it. Yeah. Like we just didn't, we were isolated is probably a pretty good word mm-hmm. for our family because um, nobody really understood what was going on and our families were supportive, but still limited in what they were learning as well. Like my mother-in-law read like a ton of books. She wanted to learn everything. And so that was helpful. And they, 
supported us by watching Eric, but still, you know, he still had behaviors. So there was issues there. And my brothers who were not married at the time, they would come and before we had a diagnosis, they would Mm -hmm. watch Eric and Austin, but we really didn't get out much. Vacations were pretty stressful. They were not vacations for me, like going to restaurants, people like look at, you know, like Mm -hmm. what's wrong? What's wrong? Like, okay. So yeah, you can look away now. now. Yeah. And the grocery store, I mean, you've, probably seen and heard tons of those different stories. So um, just people not knowing and you having to decide whether you're going to stay and push through it, or are you just going to remove yourself from it? And a lot of times we just decided we're just going to leave because this is not, it's not healthy for anybody here. Yeah. So yeah, for Adam and I, so for our marriage, it became weird because Adam had to stay home. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Adam made a decision. We made a decision that Adam would stay home instead of sending Austin to daycare. And um, then Adam continued to stay home when Eric was born because um uh, there wasn't a place that we could just send Eric and Adam wanted to coach basketball. And so we were doing a lot of, I was teaching. So I would get home and then he would leave. So even though we were married, we were doing a lot of single parenting. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It does. So there was a lot of that going on and his basketball was now at Penn state and he was traveling. So he was gone a lot. And that's when we decided to go into house parenting because like, this is like, like our family's going in different directions right now because we are not together at all. Mm -hmm. And, um, do we think we can do this? And then that's when we were like, well, this is something we were going to do when Austin graduated. And Eric was already up in Hershey because okay. the that's where the Vista yeah. school was. Yeah. And I at school one day was just so frustrated with standardized tests and them pulling kids out of my class and me losing my critical thinkers. I was like, I can't, I can't. And so I just got on the computer and filled out the application and then went home and told Adam he needed to fill it out. (laughs) I didn't think we were quite there yet. And I'm like, I think we have to be like, I I am, you're coming along. I think we have to, um, we need something different because at that point I was working that I was the breadwinner and Mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't mind being that person, but it was pretty exhausting. So I can imagine, I can imagine. And then you went to house parenting and then you were together all the time as we know. Yes. So that's, (laughs) that's, it's a great thing if you have a great marriage. So right. Clearly it was a great thing. Yes. Yeah. So it, it, it did work. That did work. And, um, I, I think for me with the diagnoses, I am always a half full person. 
and a, okay, what can we do? Where can he be? What, what opportunities are out there? Like always trying to find something to expand where we were with him. And then Adam was doing like the diet and any of the supplements he would like, I'm taking those before he, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Um, So he did that, but it was, it was, I felt like it was always a constant, like I had to be a cheerleader, like, okay, Mm -hmm. we can do this. We can do this. We got it. And, um, yeah, just becomes exhausting. So, yeah. Wow. Here we are. Here we are. Well, what I know of you, you've been an amazing advocate for him. Yeah. Well, both have. um, So it's really not a choice, right? It's really right. It's your child. If you are looking out for the best interest of your kids, Mm -hmm. um, whether it was Eric or Austin, we didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. We didn't. This is who we are. And like, people are like, I can't believe you do all that. Are you, this is da da da. And I'm like, I didn't have a choice. Like, mm-hmm. like, what am I going to do? Like, okay, I'm not going to do anything. Well, that's not a choice either right. that I would choose because that's just not my style. So let's just dive in and figure this out. And this is just the life we live. So living, you know, family first is, is always where we are and it's, it's gotten us to a good place. And so we left house parenting because we knew that Eric wasn't going to get the support he needed if we stayed because of our hours. Yes. And you know, that with the hours. So the school was wonderful. They offered a lot of different options for us, but then it wasn't fair for the kids in our home if we were going to be gone like that. So when you, when you sit down and you're like, okay, we can walk away from that. We can walk away from this and we can do it knowing that we're doing this for our family. Yes. And it made that it made that departure very easy. Mm -hmm. And so, and, you know, things just fell into place. Like Eric graduated in May and what I had a teacher job in August. So it was like, yeah, there was a lot of things that happened super quickly, but I'm a woman of faith. So I believe that there's, there's a reason why things happen like that. And just with, Eric's diagnoses and having another child focusing on what you can control and giving the rest of the Lord. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a good point. That's a good point. So now that he's 22 and he'll be 23 in August, Mm -hmm. what does life look like for him now in terms of staying at home or moving out and living nearby, having a job, all of those things? Right. So, um, amazing people again in our life. So he has a job at Trogues. So he works. Nice choice. (laughs) (laughs) Was not our choice. Okay. Um, so he makes the fries and the grilled cheese. That's so great. I'm sorry. What? I said, that's so great. I mean, that's a great place to work. I would think it would be a really supportive and fun environment. 
he loves it there. And then there's a restaurant that just opened across the street, Hidden Still, and he works there as well. Okay. So those are the two jobs that he has right now. They're not full-time and they're not necessarily what he loves to do. And figuring that out is difficult because you know, he's an artist. He did sidewalk chalk and then he did um, crayons, all kinds. And now he's working with like graphics on the computer. However, when you take him into job environments where it's asking him to do that, he'll like draw simple bird. And we're like, that's <laughs> come on. You so do better than yeah, that. It's more of, <laughs> it's more of a, a hobby and a self-directed, like, this is what I like to do for me. Mm -hmm. Like his room has all of his Chuck E. Cheese pictures and all kinds of cool things hanging up that he's created graphically, mm. but, um, we haven't found that perfect match for what he likes to do. Now we know he likes to camp. So back when COVID started, we got a camper and he calls it his camper van. And <laughs> it truly is like Eric's thing. And, um, it's great. Like ride on, he gets in there with his <laughs> stuff and he's like, all right, dad, ride on. And oh. Adam, you know, we go to the campground this year, we have a permanent spot. So we'll be able to be there more. And with not being house parents, it'll be nice because of the schedule will allow us to be there more, but I don't know. I don't know what's next for us as far as, you know, for Eric and his job, he has things that make him happy. And that's, we're happy with that right now. Living, we have two condominiums that have joining walls. So we purchased one years ago, fixed that up. And then the one behind it became available and we are hoping to be able to push through those walls so he can have mm. his own kind of independent living, but that we're right there. So right now, last year, when we left house parenting, we had previously told Adam's parents that they could stay with us because they were building a house. Okay. So they were, you know, we were house parents, so we didn't need our condo. And so they moved in. And then a month later, we said, um, by the way, we're all going to move in. So there was, uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> there was a bunch of us in the one. And then when this one became available in September, we, we grabbed it for Eric. So okay. that's where we are now. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know what the future holds. I really don't. We have his blog that we started back in during COVID. And that was something that grew into something that I never, ever, ever imagined because it was, it was me and COVID and schools closing down. Mm. And oh, by the way, we now need to do virtual school with your child that's autistic. 
And like, hello, what does that look like? I know moms and dads were kicking and screaming and pulling their hair out with kids that were in regular ed classrooms that now had to go virtual. Mm -hmm. Like Eric was not in a regular ed class. He was in a learning support class. So he had amazing teachers who, my gosh, Rosenstiel was teaching him how to play the ukulele. She wrote the symbols with Sharpie on her fingers. Oh, wow. I was like, I wish I would have had that on video because you are an amazing lady and your superintendent needs to see this because who does this? Right. The speech therapists would get online. But anyway, going back to my blog. So I was like, how do I document? How do I stay sane with my thing? <laughs> so I just started documenting. Okay. So Monday with Eric, this is what we did because I didn't want to get in the groove of Eric just hangs out in his room the whole day. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then I'm kicking and screaming, trying to get him to come to the computer or the table to do virtual school for a couple hours. So keeping him going like, all right, let's go make lunch. Let's play the piano. Let's, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think you saw some of my mm -hmm. dates with Eric, right? I did. Yes. And that was the feedback we got from that was like overwhelming. And I didn't understand why. And so I asked people, I'm like, I don't like, why, why are you so fascinated by that? And they're like, we had no idea. We had no idea that that's what a world could look like with a special needs child. Like my friends right now, I'm 50, their kids have left the house. Mm -hmm. yes. They're married. They're getting married. They're, you know, Eric's 22. So at 22, I was married. Adam and I were married. Mm -hmm. And so Eric's not going anywhere unless we put him in a placement and that's not on the table right now. So this is life with us and mm -hmm. this is how we roll. So if you get Adam and I, you're getting Eric too. Yeah. No, I think yeah. that's a beautiful thing. And I love that you started the blog and so many people have seen what you're doing and are really seeing what it's mm -hmm. like to be in your shoes, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. So what yeah. advice do you have? We could go, I have so many more questions in terms of autism and your opinions on autism speaks and national things. We could cover that some other time, but what advice do you have for parents of children with special needs or parents of children who have autism mm -hmm. and all that, what would your suggestions and advice be for them? So my suggestions and advice would be that people in your world are trying to help you, number one. So what I hear most, Kate, is people saying, I see lots of characteristics in my grandchild or my neighbor boy, like, should I say something or what should I do? Well, nobody, I don't think anybody says, oh, please tell me my child's autistic. What I think people would be more open to is here's how you can get help with speech, like early intervention. You said Kelly had no idea. Like, 
pointing them in the direction. So if somebody approaches you in your world and says, hey, I think maybe early intervention or there might be some delays here, you know, it might be nothing. My advice is to go get the testing and go from there because the I believe the earlier you have a diagnosis or it not be a diagnosis, but maybe just a delay in something and that you can work on it, the better off it is. Like there's so many people in denial and I don't know how to help them get past that. And I'm sorry that, that that's what's going on in their world. I will tell you from my point of view that if you are suspecting that there's something that you reach out to your local early intervention, they're all over, I think they're all over the United States and get more information and get the help you need. Don't be afraid to have people come in your home. They're not looking to see if your dishes are done or your, your leaves are raked they're there to help your child and it needs to be less about you and more about your child and when you put that focus on them and what they need you won't even see those dishes in the in the sink when the speech therapist comes over because you're focused on what does my kiddo need right now and so that is that's my my strongest suggestion to anyone that has an inclination that their child may be on the spectrum or may have delays is, is just get it done early. Like the, mm-hmm. the longer you're in denial, you're, it, it's just not, and the brain, the brain is almost done developing at the age of five. So mm-hmm. we're like, we need to have all of those things shooting when, when we have the opportunity. So, and there's so much that's out there right now. So much. Yes. I mean, Eric did therapeutic riding. He did, oh, there's, there's um, Aaron's acres that's around here. So there's camps. There's a lot of things that didn't exist when he was little. Now I wish there was overnight camps when he was little, he would have qualified for because when he was 20, we tried to send him to an Easter seals camp, overnight (laughs) camp. Like, we'll just try it. We got called the next morning to come pick him up because he just did not make it through the night. He was upset and it was just really difficult. And he still asked if he can go back can I go to camp? Like buddy, (laughs) buddy, so sad, but you really don't want to be there. (laughs) The thought is nicer than the reality. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause what he does is he watches all these pictures and movies with people at camp, like um, high school. Oh, the high school musical. Yes. There you go. High school musical. I never watched that out by the pool and oh Oh, yes yes it does look nice all those movies with that there's a lot of things Mm. but um and the other piece Kate is reach out to people who are willing to mentor and help and every single one of those people that came and said hey I think my 
uh, grandson may be on the spectrum or, hey, I have a friend or I still get calls or emails from teachers or who some a Hershey moms, like somebody's moving to the, oh, my realtor, someone's hmm. moving to the area and they have a child on the spectrum. Can I give them your name to reach out to? Absolutely. Like wow. if you can find somebody, our, all of our stories are a little bit different, but if you can find somebody just to um, say, hey, what was your story? Where did you go? What did you do? They might just glean just a tiny bit mm-hmm. from where you were and be able to apply it to where they are. And I just, I'm such a believer in reaching out to your resources mm-hmm. and just being a good resource to others. So that's great advice. Yes. <laughs> that is my advice. And are you still doing the blog? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so where, are- where can people find that? Yeah. So the blog is at it's www.about the team.com and it's it's a t e a m about the a team.com and awesome. adam took it over when i started teaching so it doesn't it doesn't appear on a regular <laughs> basis which my regular followers are super disappointed about Come on adam it was on my it was on my facebook and yes. and then i got hacked somebody like totally took my identity and it took me a good month. I had to use an expired driver's license for Facebook to finally believe who I was. Yeah. So if, if somebody wants to go back through my Facebook to, to March or April of 2020, they'll find those posts there that I did every day. But, um, wow. Once I was hacked, I was like, it, it was so scary, Kate, because that's where I was telling my story every day. And yes. so somebody said, you need to, you need to turn it into a blog. So we were working with like a blog person and that's hashtag awesome. this. And I love that. that. And <laughs> oh, wow. So, a new adventure. Yeah. It is that's a great. new adventure. It is. Oh, yes. Yeah, so that's well, where we are. And and really any of your listeners that want to hear any more or have a question for me, Eric's 22. So I've had my boots on for a long time. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Well, thank you for sharing your story with me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for reaching out. And of course, uh, you're going to help a lot of people, I think. Whenever you need me, let me know. I will. You know that. (laughs) I know. I know you're great, Kate. So are you. So are you. Well, I, um, I will let you go and I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right. See you girl. Bye. Bye. Amy is clearly a mama warrior and I hope you enjoyed her story and were inspired by a lot of the things that she shared. And if you have a child with autism or you are a parent of a child with special needs, I hope that you will be encouraged by her story and that you will continue to advocate for your child and do everything that you need to, to reach out for help as well as be a resource for others. So here are today's five takeaways. Number one, if you are unsure of whether or not your child has autism, go get the testing. Contact your local early intervention group and get your child tested to get the information and help you need. Number two, 
reach out to people who are willing to mentor or help you. Community is so important and is key to getting the emotional and mental support that are vital for you to parent and advocate for your child well. Make sure that you are caring for and supporting yourself well so you're not pouring out of an empty cup. Number three, if you have a child with autism, be a good resource to others. Be willing to talk with them and point others who may have a child with autism in the right direction so they can get the information, support, and help they need. Number four, advocate, always. Advocate for yourself, your child, and others who have a child with autism. Advocacy is so important so you can provide the best resources and opportunities for your child and help to make sure they are available for other children as well. And number five, appreciate those in your life who do support you and your child. Whether it's your partner, family members, teachers, doctors, or others, appreciate everyone who comes alongside of you on your journey. Remember that community is key for everyone's success. Again, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please don't hesitate to rate and review me on the platform you listen to. It helps me to get seen and heard by so many more. Thanks so much for listening, and I will catch you next time.